All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we're going to be looking at a a subject today that uh, a lot of us in our culture uh, automatically react to, the topic of judging. Just by a show of hands, how many of us have ever heard somebody say, don't judge me? Can I see your hand? All over the room. Now let me just say, uh, for those of you who've been here for a while, you know that Jeff Robinson wearing a tie doesn't happen very often. And I'm, I'm wearing one today. I just, you know, we're going to do the Lord's Supper once a quarter. And I've already had comments like, you're wearing a tie. So I've, I've already been judged. Alright, I've already been judged today. But, um, you know, for the most part we're a casual church. But here's the thing. You, know, you say, what's the dress code at Rocky Mount Baptist Church? We say, we just ask that you do. Some, somebody's not gotten that yet. We just ask that you do. If you're an adult, you probably know how to dress yourself. So we're glad that, we're glad that you're here. And we've got a lot to cut. We've got a lot to cover today. But if you notice, if you have a bulletin outline, the title of our, of our message today is a question mark. Thou shalt not judge. Some of us have not only heard people say to us, don't judge me. But some of us have actually heard people say this. Doesn't the Bible say thou shalt not? What? Judge. Well, let's look at what Jesus has to say and let's see if what we've been told or what we've heard is actually what Jesus actually teaches. So Matthew chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some there on the pew for you. That's a gift from us to you and if you'd like an even nicer bible we have some members who usually leave their bibles here for about eight months and we'd love to give you that because our members who love jesus you would probably get more uh work and use out of that bible than they would and they some of them wouldn't miss it are we okay church all right bible says in matthew chapter 7 in verse number one and these are the words of jesus he says judge not that you be not judged. If you're reading, reading the King James Version, it's judge not lest you be judged. For, verse 2, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log or the beam that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there was a log in your own eye? Here Jesus levels the judgment. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And verse 6 is very interesting. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The main idea of what Jesus is getting across here in these verses is very simple. That hypocrisy clouds our perception of both ourselves and other people. Would you agree with that? And what you've seen in your life so far? That hypocrisy clouds our perception of both ourselves and other people. Notice how humorous Jesus' illustration is. He says in verse 3, there is a situation... Where if we don't deal with our stuff, 
but we want to deal with everybody else's stuff. It is like having literally a log sticking out of your eye. And you go to somebody else, and apparently, if you have a log in your eye, you're able to see the speck in somebody else's eye. Think about that for a minute. If I've got a head contraption, if I've got headgear, and I literally have a log that is in front of one eye, I'm already one-eyed. That means my depth perception is off, right? Not only do I have a clouded, blocked vision, but my depth perception is off. And then how in the world am I going to come and see one of you and try to look for that tiny speck that is in your eye? And even more so, imagine this. Trying to do eye surgery on somebody else while having a log attached to your eye. That's funny. I know we've got some people in here this morning that may be too cool for school, but can you imagine the picture in Jesus' original hearers of them imagining somebody trying to do eye surgery of that day, but yet they can't see? And number one, I mean, what do you do when you turn around and you need a, a medical instrument? You knock out the nurses with the log sticking out of your eye. You're making a mess. You're breaking windows. But you're going to get that speck in your brother's eye. So what Jesus does time and time again throughout the Bible, but specifically in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, is he tells us that when we see issues and when we encounter difficulties, we need to first look within. Hypocrisy and pride always looks at the other person and says, it's them. The problem in my life is them. The reason why things are the way they are is because of something out there. But humility will cause us to look within. Those of you who were with us last week, were you not blessed by last week's service? Amen. Let's give praise to the Lord for that. Awesome. Our students who were able to share what God had done in their life and the, and the, the adult leaders as well. And I mean, and people responding during, during the invitation to, to the Lord calling them to do what he's calling them to do. And I, I, had, I had a mini sermon set up, but boy, by the time I got up, I said, the sermon has been preached. It's just our turn to respond. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that when we read God's word, sometimes we can come across those passages and it's not just teaching us about, about the world, but it's teaching us about who we are and what we need to surrender to God. And when we look at the subject of judging this morning, when we hammer home what Jesus is trying to get across in these verses, that hypocrisy clouds our perception of ourselves and it clouds our perception of other people, I encourage you, as I've tried to do in studying this, to look within and say, Lord, seek search me and see if there's any wicked way that's in me. Show me, Lord, something that I've not yet given to you. In our youth camp last week, I remember the, the, the camp pastor, he used an illustration of, of the old westerns. And for those of you who, who like old westerns, you know, the, the sheriff will come and he may be by himself. He may have a posse. He may have the deputies with him. But the bad guy is in the saloon and he tells them, come out with your, with your hands up. And he drove home that illustration. He says, you know what? Many times in our Christian life, in our walk with the Lord, and if you're even here this morning, you, you're not really a church person. This is kind of, this is kind of out of the ordinary for you. We're glad that you're here. Regardless of where you are in your walk with God, or even if you don't have a relationship, what he wants you to do is to come out with your hands up saying, God, whatever you show me, I'm, I'm going to do it. I will follow you. 
And so what we're going to do here is look at four truths about judging as we drive home what Jesus wants to get across. Number one, the phrase, thou shalt not judge, is not in the Bible. We okay, church? It's not. The phrase, thou shalt not judge, is not actually in the Bible. However, throughout the Bible, there are warnings about hypocrisy. Uh, Let me give you one from Matthew chapter 15 and verses 6 and 7. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah in the Old Testament prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men what jesus is talking about in verses one and two where he says judge not that you be not judged and then with the judgment you pronounce or literally with the scales that you judge other people by those same scales will be applied to you jesus is once again pointing out the deceptive hiding enemy in most of our lives and it's called hypocrisy you ever noticed how easy it is to see problems in other people's lives but sometimes if people now there's a difference there's some people that are just pain they're just pains in 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 the neck all right and they love to torture they love to cause conflict they love to cause drama we're not talking about that we're talking about sometimes when someone who loves you they know the word of god they study the word of god and they come alongside you and they point something out in your life Let's go, let's, let's maybe for some of us who are not in high school, middle school right now, let's go, let's go back there. Can you go back there with me? Are we back there? Some of you are still tracking back. It may take a while. All right, we're there. Middle school, high school. We know everything and you know, and you know, especially for us guys, you know when we were bad, bad Leroy Brown is when we got the keys. Come on. I mean, it's to your mom's van, but you still got the keys. You know, and you're, you're the big man on campus. You're like, you, you, and you got your music cranked up, you know, out of your, out of your, your mom's van speakers, you know, and you pick your friends up and they, mom and dad, they don't know it. They don't know anything. But then later on, you learn that they do. And sometimes if we can look back to the younger that we were, whenever godly parents point, and, and there's a, there's a fine line between mental abuse and speaking down, destroying a child's uh, self image and so forth. There's a fine line between that and lovingly rebuking and correcting your children, which let's just be honest, we all need that. And those of us that were spanked growing up, we can probably all say that we deserve more than we got honest man in the house but when we have when we look back at those times and even maybe it's today when people point out something in our life and it's kind of like how did they see that you know the way that we can react if hypocrisy and pride are the prevailing attitudes in our life we respond with reacting and we say well you right remember that that's that's old school right there well, what, what did adam and eve do adam blamed god he said god it's this woman that you gave me it's a woman that you gave me he's really blaming god and then then, then eve's like what's well, the serpent the serpent deceived me you see everybody wants to pass the buck but when jesus speaks in order for us to help other people we first have to get our junk dealt with amen church 
if we want to go around and deal with everybody else's junk, the Lord can save somebody and change them so that we can be helpful in leading people to Jesus. But we know that pride is prevailing, it's leading, it's saturating our lives, it fills the aroma of our lives when we react with pride and defensiveness when someone points out a blind spot in our life. And sometimes that can come even when we're sitting in a church service. You ever heard a message? It could even be in your car driving down the road, Christian radio. It's just kind of like the Holy Spirit takes what the Bible says, the truth, and just drives it deep inside your heart. And you're just like looking around at the other cars. You're like, maybe they know what I've done too. I mean, the way that you can really mess somebody up, don't do this, is just leave an anonymous note. I know what you, I know who you are and I know what you did. Don't do that. But isn't it interesting that when we hear the word of God and we're being honest and we don't come and we're, you know, you know what, what, saying stuff like, well, I can't wait till Jeff tells a funny story or I hope that, you know, some of our thinkers in here, I hope that we dig into the Greek. I mean, not trying to get something that we're necessarily interested in, but coming before the Lord saying, God, I want my heart to be laid open before you and I want to be changed. And one of the biggest obstacles to this is a phrase, it's huge with people my age, and it's this. Only God can judge me. Have you heard that? Only God can judge me. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Facebook pictures. Um, some people get it tattooed as bumper stickers. I mean, it's all over the place. Let me just try to, um, especially for people my age, let's just all uh, be honest. If that's true, that only God can judge, then what that must mean is that if you cheat on your husband or your wife, then nobody can say that that's wrong. If only God can judge you. If you abandon your family or your children. If you say only God can judge me. That means that there can be nobody to come alongside you and say what you're doing is wrong. You need to come back to God. That means that if we break into somebody's house. I mean this goes right. We're going with the logic of it. If only God can judge me. If only God can speak into my life to say this is wrong. This is right. Then that means I could go break into somebody's house. Beat them up. Take all of their goods. And go hawk them at a pawn shop. And nobody can say that's wrong. And we all know that that's ludicrous. So here's the question of Cain. If you go back to Genesis, Cain, after he had killed his brother Abel, God says, Cain, where's your brother Abel? He says, is not Abel's blood crying out from the ground? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, are other people in my life, am I really responsible for them? The answer, the answer is yes. The book of Proverbs even tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One of the greatest things that you and I can do in our walk with Christ, and here's the thing that happens sometimes, especially with Bible studies. There may be some, and you say, Jeff, I don't know that much about the Bible. And I'm afraid that if I show up to a Bible study, whether, ladies, it's, whether it's the Sunday evening Bible study, whether it's a mixed group Bible study Sunday morning, I'm afraid that if I show up, somebody's going to ask me who Abraham's third cousin's donkey's brother was and I'm not going to know and I'm going to feel awkward and it's going to be weird. Sometimes we can think, you know what, just because I don't know enough, I can't start learning. Well, think about your favorite hobby that you do right now. There was a point where we weren't as skilled at that hobby in the past as we are right now, right? But we saw value in it. We saw a need for it. We were drawn to it. So it's the same thing with the word of God. 
Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. We're responsible as brothers and sisters for one another. And even further, the verse in Proverbs, it's so cool. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When you get involved in community Bible study, it allows you to know people in an intimate way, in a close way, so that you can do life with. That means when the bottom falls out, you have people that you can go to. And it's not in a, in a group to where people sit around telling each other what they think is wrong about them. You see, that's really the part that our culture reacts to. There is a difference between making a righteous judgment and judging someone's motives. We are to be fruit inspectors. That means the Bible says, and we're going to get to it in in chapter 7 of Matthew, when Jesus says there in verse 17, go with me to verse 17 in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying, man, if we really have him in control of our lives, then our lives are going to bear fruit. We're going to be loving where we used to be harsh. We're going to be filled with joy where we used to be filled with anger and hatred. There's going to be, if Jesus is there, if there is a root, there's going to be fruit. But if there is no fruit, then there's no root. Let me just say a word um, to those who, who may say, Jeff, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. This is not Jeff's opinion. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 3 and verse 17. He says that, He who does not believe on the Son is condemned already. Are we we still okay? Jesus is saying that unless you come to the place where you get the big things taken care of in life, which is to be saved, which is to be born again, which is to give your life to Christ and begin that relationship with Him, really everything else doesn't matter. So the way that one of the ways that you come to help someone is you have Jesus come in control of your life. We got a lot of people throughout America and we're involved in church, aren't we? We know the Bible, but have you ever come to that place where you've given your life to Jesus Christ? Because if not, and if you've just been sprinkled or joined a church or done a religious act, then guess what happens when you die? You will be separated from God and you will spend an eternity in a place called hell. Hell is a real place to where real people go for a real eternity. But Jesus came so that you don't have to go. The word of God, once again, says that if you've not been changed by Jesus Christ, you are condemned already. But why would you reject such a great grace as Jesus Christ would give you? And second point, number one, the phrase, thou shalt not judge is not in the Bible. Number two, as Christ followers, we must make decisions about right and wrong. Now think about this. If what Jesus is saying here means that we can never make a decision about right or wrong, and we can never say this is wrong and this is right, then really all the prophets throughout the Old Testament were were wrong, weren't they? I mean, these guys were not trying to get a spot on cable television. They preached. They preached things that were offensive. Because they were put there by God because God loved the people. The people had drifted away from God. God sent prophets to tell them how it really was to bring them back to God. And if Jesus is saying as his followers that we're never to make a decision about right and wrong, then Jesus himself was wrong. Because notice what he says. Verse 5, you hypocrite. Would you call that a judgment? 
Absolutely. But there's a verse that I would encourage you to write down. It's in John chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. He's saying, do not judge on the surface. Do not try to be the Holy Spirit and judge someone's motives. We can never judge someone's motives. That's going to free some of you today. Because it's very easy, especially if you want to find a fault in somebody, to try to discern why they're doing what they're doing. All that we can do is be fruit inspectors. And if we have someone in our life who says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but their life does not reflect it at all, we lovingly come alongside them and encourage them to examine themselves to see whether they're in the faith, as opposed to act in the place of God to throw them under the bus. So number three, hypocrisy. And this is our main idea hypocrisy clouds our perception of both ourselves and others to go back to the example there in verse uh, number three through five having the log that is in your own eye notice that jesus says there in verse number five he says you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye and then you will here's the key you will see what see clearly In the original Greek, this literally means to see through. Some of you that enjoy comic books know that Superman is the one with x-ray vision. He's able to see through walls. Jesus is saying the way that we come to the place to where we not just, we don't condemn people and throw them under the bus, but we rather come alongside them and counsel them and lead them to Jesus is by first having the log removed out of our own eye. And the biggest log that we could have in our own eye, honestly, it all gets back to pride. Even if it's an issue of addiction, addiction says, I need this because I'm more important than my duty to my family or to my job or to my country. Pride. For some, the pride of turning over your life to God. Some of us, we don't like to give over control. We like to be the ones in control. When we come to Jesus Christ, it is an act of surrender and submission to him. We say, well, that's kind of crazy, though. I mean, to have like a log sticking out of your eye, that's kind of, it's kind of a big deal. Like, why, why don't some people just get, just get rid of it? Well, the Bible tells us that Satan is the little g-god of this world, that he blinds the minds of those who don't believe so that they can't believe in the gospel. So what has to happen is we explain the gospel, we pray for them. So that they'll come to the point of giving their life to Jesus Christ. Now those of you who've had something in your eye before. Know how painful that is. And how something that even is just a speck. If you're working on a construction site. and I mean you've got the buzzsaw going and everything's in the air. And you get something in your eye. It's amazing how you can take a full grown man. I mean with, with like muscles. Muscles coming out of his earlobes. He's so, he's so stacked. I mean, he's just, he's strong. Just a tiny speck. Get in his eye. He's doing this. I mean, you could have a three-year-old beat him up. Can't see. Eyes are watering all over the place. So Jesus, yes, is saying that we should look in our own lives to see if we have a log and to ask the Lord to remove that through confessing What he shows us is in our life. But on top of that, it doesn't have to take a log in your eye to cause you to be miserable. Last time you got something in your eye, don't you remember? Somebody said, why don't you go wash out your eye? Doesn't washing out your eye always hurt? 
It does. I hate washing out my eye, but I know that if I don't, it's going to prolong the pain, prolong the misery, that going through the eye-washing process, or, and this, this, this goes if you really, really trust this person, where they hold open your eye, and they get some type of instrument, and they dab down in there to try to swab out what's in your eye. That's when, that's when uh, the country song, that's when you find out who your friends are. You know, there's some people like, I got you. You're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just sleep on it. But how, what a relief it is. And after you wash it out, or after you have somebody painfully hold open your eye that wants to close itself, the relief that comes and you say it was totally worth it. You see, that's what sin is. Sin tells us, just keep going, just keep going, just just take something, just believe what somebody says, that it's not that big of a deal to God where the Bible tells us that God is holy, He's righteous, He's totally pure. We have to come to the place where we say, God, I don't want to try to do eye surgery on other people with a two by four in my eye, but I need you to do a work within me. And even more so, do you remember the story of David in the Old Testament after uh, he had he had slept with another man's wife? And long story short, he ended up murdering this man through executive order. And the prophet Nathan came and he gave this story. He said, you know, well, what would it be like if you had this guy, this, this, this king almost, and he had all these sheep, all these sheep. He could have any one of them for a pet. He could eat any one of them. I mean, to have for, for dinner, mutton chops. But, but there was this poor man and all he had was one little lamb. And it was almost like a pet to him. And guess what the rich man did? He came and he took the poor man's only lamb. And he didn't just take it for himself, but he actually killed it and had it for dinner. You know what David did? David rose up and David says that man should die. Easy killer. What does the law say? The law said that the man should have repaid fourfold. Not die. But what was going on with David's vision of himself, others, and God? He had unconfessed sin, the unconfessed sin of laziness, being at home while his men were out on war. The sin of adultery, the sin of lying, that culminated and snowballed into the sin of murder. And isn't it interesting when we look at David's life and we look at our own life, that how sometimes we almost violently react against the sin that we see in other people's lives. That if we have the word of God, and we have a godly man or woman in our life, if we could look into the mirror, we could say, you know what? It may be the reason why we, I react so strongly is because I have issues that are similar. Because this is how it works. And Jesus goes to this time and time again. When we see something in someone else's life, and if we can focus all of our energy on that, it makes us feel better about the stuff that we have in our own life. Whereas the gospel says, like Paul, the apostle Paul, he said, I am the chief of sinners. Do you remember back when you got saved? When you heard that message that God used to just break through your heart? Most people I've talked to, they say, you know what? I felt about the same thing. Because when you get saved and when you give your life to Christ, nobody else's sin matters at that point. Y'all with me? We're not thinking about what was done to us. We're not thinking about so-and-so down the street or the person who's irritating. We think 
horizontal, me and God. And we cry out and say, God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? This past week, I had the privilege to spend time with family in South Carolina. My brother and sister-in-law came up from Florida and brought Micah and Hannah. Micah's just a, he's almost two, and Hannah's just a few months old. And we brought Micah to the pool. And uh, one thing I've noticed with kids that get around the age of two is they they learn this universal word. I don't know how how they learn it, but it's the word uh, mine. Mine. Well, we're there in the pool, and he's got his little life jacket on. And there was a, a little girl who was very uh, friendly, and she was sharing her pool toys. Well, she threw him a ball, and he loves he loves that. He grabbed a hold of this ball, and I was just like, man, this is blowing my mind. He grabbed a hold of it and held it and said, mine, mine, mine. But when he, when he held on to it, he could no longer hold his head above water. He was just like flopping all over the place. So he's getting mad waters in his mouth and in his eyes. He, you know, spitting out everywhere, going, mine. I say, Micah, throw the ball to her. Mine. And I thought, I said, Micah, if you would just release the ball to your friend, you'd be able to hold yourself up. And Cassie's like, that's a good illustration. I was like, I know, I'm going to share it on Sunday. <laughs> But as I, I thought of that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we're, we're, we're the same way, aren't we? If we can just be real, if we can just be honest on Sunday morning in church, imagine that, honest in church. That sometimes the reason why we have a, and please, please catch this phrase, why we have a critical spirit. That doesn't mean that we, has nothing to do with calling sin, sin has nothing to do with trying to be excellent in our work and have a, a quality family life. I'm talking about a spirit of criticism to where you can be counted on as the Debbie Downer. You can be counted on to say something critical. And what some of us have noticed in our lives is the reason why some people may distance themselves from us is because they have seen us be harsh and critical towards other people. They have seen this log of harshness and criticism and legalism that is shown out of our life when we're trying to tell everybody else how to live in the minutia of the details. And they distance themselves from us because they don't want to be caught in the path of the sword of criticism that we seem to just flail around with reckless abandon. In Jesus... Once again, verse 5, you hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck out of your brother's eye. That's why Jesus says, to, in conclusion, as Christ followers, this is, this is what he's getting across, as Christ followers, we need humility. Amen, church? Like humility before God. And we also need discernment, which is being able to see what's really going on. Humility and discernment that enables us to speak the truth in love and avoid misjudging situations. Every single one of us needs to pray daily for wisdom. Even if you're a monk in a cave. But even more so if you work with people. 
and you live with people and you interact with people to beg God, James chapter 1, to ask God for wisdom and He will give it. Because there are some people that if you unload the truck of truth, they will, Jesus says in verse number 6, trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. This is something that there's no hard and fast rule other than being led by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are to preach the gospel to every creature. Every person we should share the gospel with. But there are some situations in which the Holy Spirit gives you an insight to say this person understands the gospel. They have heard the gospel. And speaking this word of truth in this situation would allow them to defame the gospel. Proverbs chapter 9 and verses 7 and 8 says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove, reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. But reprove a wise man and he will love you. It's an issue of being led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. And we need to understand that we don't have to unload every bit of truth on every bit of that person in every situation. The Bible says, even Jesus, there are times to where you go to certain towns and when they hear the gospel, they understand the gospel and they thoroughly reject the gospel. Jesus says to shake off the dust and go to the next town. Now, you know what our reaction can be? We like to call people dogs and hogs before they ever are. The situations in which we restrain ourselves should be in the absolute minority because we see Jesus, we see the Apostle Paul, we see the Apostles speaking the truth even to people who have hard hearts. Stephen, we could say he was the first deacon or the first deacon role. In Acts chapter 6, he spoke the truth to a congregation of men that actually killed him. But there was a man there who saw Stephen kneeling down, being stoned to death, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with love, filled with courage, filled with something that he didn't know. And that man's name was Saul, who later got saved, and his name was Paul. So may it be that we do not pronounce people dogs and hogs who would simply um, throw uh, our pearls before We need to understand Ecclesiastes 3 verse 7. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And that's something that comes with wisdom. Especially in context of a family. Sometimes if we were able to pray, able to end the discussion, it wouldn't go into more argumentation. Final question. How much would you give for your eye? If you have a good right eye, how much would you give for it? Somebody comes and they say, you know what? We're doing an eye buyback program. Give you a million dollars for your right eye. We're like, no. Let me talk to my boss. Ten million for your right eye. You can still see. You can still see the world. We'll give you fifty million for your right eye. Some, some may. They're like, well, I could just, with the other one, I could go see the world with 50 million. 
Then if somebody came and they said, we'll give you $10 billion, billion with a B, like in Bill Gates, billion, for both of your eyes. If we have any amount of common sense, we say, I don't care if you give me the amount of the U.S. national debt, I will not give up my eyes because they are priceless. Jesus in chapter 6 uses the eye as an illustration of the way that we see the world, our soul. Uses as an illustration. There is nothing more important than our soul. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 9, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What does it profit us if we know all about the Bible and how to call other people out in their little sins if we've never given our lives truly to Jesus Christ? question is how is your eyesight let's um, bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to this time of commitment to where we respond to what the lord has taught us through his word if you've never given your life to jesus christ this may be your first time in church ever or in a long time and you know that god has spoken to you and you know that you need to give your heart to christ you need to commit to be a follower of jesus It's not a special prayer that you pray, but it is simply an act of obedience to where you submit yourself to Jesus Christ. You give Him your life. Won't you commit to Him right now? And be saved, be forgiven. There may be some of us in here and we say, Jeff, I, I know that I've become a follower of Christ. I know that Jesus is my Lord, but I've struggled with having a critical spirit towards other people. They do something I don't agree with, and I cut them off. And I know that there is a log that is building in my eye, and I want to have it taken away. Why don't you just do business with Christ? Say, Jesus, I want to confess that sin of having a critical attitude, a critical spirit. And there are some of you, and you, you, you say, Jeff, I'm trying not to you know, do the judging thing, the condemning other people thing. I'm just making a decision on right and wrong. There is someone in my life, and it seems like they cannot speak a kind word to anyone. Why don't you pray for them? Why don't you pray that God would speak into their life and that you can lovingly come alongside them, not to condemn them, not to throw them under the bus of judgment, but to speak words of truth and lovingly lead them to a knowledge of Jesus. Whether you need to come and pray here at the altar, whether you need to stay in your seat. There may be some of you that you need to make your commitment for Jesus Christ public to say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm today, I'm committing to follow Jesus Christ. What we'd ask you to do is when we begin to sing, as we, as we stand, just to walk down the aisle, I'll take you by the hand, I'll pray for you. And in doing that, you're letting everyone know here and the Lord, I am ready to follow Christ. If you know that today is the day that you need to join up with Rocky Mount Baptist Church or you need to set up a time to be baptized and follow what Jesus commanded, we ask you to come during the invitation. Don't delay. Come.